someone by their features. You recognize someone by their voice. You recognize somebody, even when I see people I went to Cleveland High with or Lee University, I recognize them even now by distinct features and characteristics. Guess what? God wants to make himself recognizable in you, through you, and for you. Can you say amen? Say, in me, for me, through me. And uh, that's so powerful. And in this teaching, I don't know how this will come forth. I don't think I'll be screaming and shouting. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I'm calm. So we'll see how that rings out. Isaiah 43 and 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor there shall be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there besides me there is no Savior. Amen? There is no Savior. I have declared and saved. I have proclaimed, says the Lord, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Say, I am his witness that he alone is God. Indeed, before the day was, I am he, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I love that. When God presses something into his hand, no one can take it out. Not a potentate, not a president. <laughs> I'll leave names out of it. Not a um, earthly banker, not a legislator. When God puts something in his hand, and more importantly, when he puts you and I in his hand, no one can deliver out of his hand. Are you thankful for that? Every victory he has secured for you and I, he has secured in his hand. And he says, and when I work, no one can reverse it. What a powerful, powerful statement. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We welcome you, sir, into this house. I ask you to speak to my brothers and sisters. Whisper into their ears even things I do not say today. You're so mighty to do that, sir. I just ask you to speak to their heart and make images that only they would understand. Do it, Lord, in the way that you do it so well. Holy Spirit, bring to this room and to my brothers and sisters. Let them be blessed and strengthened and encouraged by this word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. In 1985, in the District of Columbia, Bob McAllister, who had worked for governors, he had worked for legislators, he had worked for the then President Richard Nixon, was driving home one day from working at the Pentagon. And all of a sudden, as he drove by a place in Washington, D.C., his heart had one of those Damascus Road experiences. All of a sudden, he doesn't know how to explain it, but his heart was enlarged for those who were hurting and left on the side of the road, ashamed by their lot in life. The result of that moment is that Bob McAllister began to, every Friday night, visit the central correctional system to the inmates on death row. Every Friday night, he would go there. And one particular night, he stood in front of a cell. He was accustomed to see horrible images, but this image made him take a step back. There was a man, an inmate, sitting on a littered floor, his body covered with roaches, his hair matted to his head. The cell stank so bad, he didn't even seem to notice the cockroaches that swarmed from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, his legs, and his shoulders. Bob McAllister stood there and looked at that inmate. He just stood there for a moment in horror. But then all of a sudden he said, saw his name and said, Rusty, just say Jesus. Rusty, call on Jesus. For a moment nothing happened and then all of a sudden a muttering began of Jesus. 
Bob said, Rusty, look around you. You are dead, Rusty. But Jesus can give you something better. For the first time in 15 years, Rusty Wormer, who had gone on a rampage as a young man with an older man who was a well-trained criminal and killed people and did horrible acts of theft but murdered several on the way, he began to weep. He said in a very still voice with cockroaches crawling all over him, I'm sick, Jesus. I'm tired. Please help me. On Monday morning, Bob McAllister, unlike his normal schedule, returned to the correctional system to look in on that particular inmate, Rusty Wormer. He found the cell disinfected. He found the bed made. He found the garbage gone, and the roaches were history. For five years, Bob McAllister discipled Rusty Wormer. For five years, he made God visible, and he made God recognizable in Rusty Wormer. Many accused Rusty Wormer of jailhouse religion, and he did not deny it. He said, you're right. I was in jail. I had nowhere else to go, and I found Jesus, and you would too in that moment. Amen? And he said he ministered to the other families on death row. He ministered to the families of the victim. But then the Supreme Court handed down the notice that he would die by execution. In the hours before his death, it is noted by Chuck Colson, who runs prison ministry, who I deem so highly, who tells this story, that he prayed a prayer of love and forgiveness over the people he had ministered to. And all the way to the executioner's room, he kept asking the executioners, are you all right? I don't hold this against you. I know you're just doing your job. The last few minutes with Bob McAllister and Rusty were charged with emotion, and they both agreed they would not say goodbye. In fact, Bob merely said, Rusty, look to Jesus. And Rusty's last statement before he died was, I claim Jesus Christ as my Savior. My only wish is that everyone in this world could feel the love I felt for him. That's what you call making Jesus recognizable to someone. Everyone in this room has a rusty wormer in their life. Everyone in this room has someone that God wants to make himself recognizable to. You see, God began to make himself recognized. We'll have many other stories in this short message. Short in my terms, not yours. Um, God, has, God has many ways to make himself recognizable. And he begins in Genesis when we see God step into the darkness and separate it and call something light. In fact, Isaiah 43 and 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory, God's glory is the way he makes himself known. Kabod, we could do the Hebrew, we could do the Greek, but the bottom line for every listener today is, God's glory is how he makes himself recognizable to you and for you. Being created for God's glory means that we reflect his goodness, his love, and we make him recognizable to a world that is hurting and in pain and in war and under attack. Can you say amen? God wants to make himself recognizable. And in Genesis, in the beginning, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness, everyone say darkness, was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. You know, I love to study that out about the Holy Spirit, but let's stay to this message. I love that because in the beginning, we see God making himself recognizable as the one who separates the light from the darkness. We see God making himself recognizable. In fact, it said he put the sky as an expanse. He separated the waters. He separated the morning and the evening. You see, God gave the gift of time. God does not need time. One day God shall dismiss time because it will have served his purposes. But we see a God who makes himself recognizable by saying where there is chaos, 
I shall bring order. Can you say amen? It said that the world was covered in darkness. That Hebrew word is tohu vavohu. You've heard me say that through the years. And it means void and chaos without substance. God made himself known by saying, I'm going to give my people time. Because I know they need a separation of day and night. You see, God showed himself in the vegetation when he made the seed-bearing plants. And you know what? A lot of people think God just made those magnificent trees and those leaves and put the DNA in the, the uh, vegetables, the fruits, the, the beautiful um, leaves on the tree, all the wonderful plants that Pastor could tell you a thousand names right now. We think he just did that and then went his own way. No, let me say something to you. God continues to keep the trees growing by the word he spoke in the beginning. If God ever stops speaking or says to his creation, stop, it will stop. But aren't you glad come spring, the earth shall bring forth new buds? Aren't you glad come fall, the leaves change? Aren't you glad come summer, those hibiscus and those beautiful flowers? Somebody give the Lord a praise this morning. If God ever stopped speaking, you see, he keeps creation going, and we see in this a God who says, this is me. I am the one when there is emptiness or void, is what it says in Genesis, that I fill it with good things. I am the one who wants you to see me as the God. Where there is chaos, I bring order. Psalms 8 says, when I consider the works of your hands, my God, the moon and the stars, what is man that you are mindful of him? They say an angel recorded that as he watched creation. What is man that you are mindful of him, that you made him a little lower than Elohim, but you crowned him, not with sapphire and rubies and diamonds, all the things that the, the eternal God had in his presence. No, God reached inside himself when he made Adam. And Adam, Adam was a lifeless form. And God reached down and breathed the Ruha HaKodesh, breath of the living God into Adam. And he became a life-giving force. God did not put sapphire on his head. God did not put diamonds on his head. But God reached into himself. And God crowned mankind kind which is you and I with glory and honor he gave the best he could give and that's why the enemy continually works against your mind and works against your peace and works against your joy because he wants to remove that crown of glory and honor but as long as we cling to the cross it shall not be can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise we see some assume Josh Herring, that God had to create to show off. God did not have to create. God would have maintained his holiness, his righteousness, his glory if he had never created anything. God created to bless mankind. God created to have a family. God created, and it says in Psalms 33 and 9, by the word of the Lord, the heavens came to be, for he spoke and it was. That means those wonderful stars that we can not count that he calls out by name can you say amen that he lines them up in the book of Job it says who else can call the lightning forth and it reports to him and says here we are who else can call the star force and it says according to the Hebrew language that they line up like a military host before the Lord God but you and I think that he cannot handle our problem you and I think that he cannot enlarge our territory you and I think that he cannot do the impossible you and I think that he can 
cannot bring us a new future. But this is the Lord God whom the very stars line up in a military line that would make the military stand in awe. Somebody give the Lord a shout of praise. And he showed even in his people. We know the enemy came to attack and stole from Adam and Eve. And that has become the cosmic chess game of the universe. But the Lord God is always a move ahead. And he came walking in the cool of the evening and he carved those skins and he loved on his kids. And he told them there was consequences, but he carved the very animal that he created, the one that possibly in my imagination, he had walked in the garden with a lamb around his shoulders, however that looked like in that time for God. He killed that animal. He carved the skin and he covered it on Adam and Eve and we see a God who makes himself recognizable by saying you see I created the blade of grass I created the seed bearing fruit I created man in my image and when I created him you see I believe even the angels looked in and when God went to put the choice inside of Adam and Eve I believe even the angels stood back and said oh Lord God please Holy One don't give him a choice he might choose not to love you I believe in my own imagination Imagination and from what the word says from Genesis to Revelation that God might have answered and said if I don't give them the choice there is no love but I give them the choice so they can choose to love and I believe in that God was showing us the heavens declare the glory of the Lord the skies proclaim the work of his hands according to Psalms 19 day after day someone say day after day they pour forth speech night after night their words go on forever Meaning, even if you and I didn't praise him for what he's done, a God who comes into chaos and brings order, a God who comes into what is dark and brings light, a God who comes into void, which means devoid of something specific, and fills it with every good thing that the stars and the moon and the sun declare to the universe, there is only one God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he alone is our Father. So Someone praise him this morning. I love that God makes himself recognizable. When Courtney was about three years old, we have some dear friends. As you know, my dad is official with the Church of God. He's retired now. And one of the men that had worked underneath him when he was the head of the youth of the whole world at that time, Floyd Carey, his married daughter who had four children, was leaving a preschool and she was crossing an intersection. And at that intersection, um, a, a the police were chasing a gentleman, and the gentleman ran the red light, and he hit Lisa right there in front of the Wendy's um, across from Ace Hardware. I'm not going to tell you what all everyone saw because it was horrific. She and two of her children went on to heaven to survive. But there at the hospital, my mother and dad were on staff at North Cleveland Church of God, and Lisa attended there. And my mother rushed over as a deacon, and everyone was in there, and the pastor's at that time was Walter Atkinson, who's on to be with the Lord now. And as they're sitting in the waiting room, there's just, you know, about 100 people, and everyone's crying. They're fighting for the lives of the other two children. And my mother, all of a sudden, in that moment, brought order into chaos as she lifted up that great alto voice and began to sing, Peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray. In fathomless billows of love, 
By the time she got to the second stanza, all hundred began to sing it. People began to weep. The, the surviving spouse, the parents, Floyd and Winnie Carey, began to feel the comfort. You see, we make God recognizable in situations where grief is present, but we bring hope. We bring God recognizable when we come into situations that are sorrowful, but we bring joy. We make God recognizable when we come into a situation and we say, you know what? I know right now all hell seems to be on your back, but let me remind you that God's peace, God's hope, God's joy, God's life can be present in this moment. Someone wave a hand at heaven. Let the angels take a snapshot of you this morning. Come on. I love that God makes himself recognizable through you and I. Who is your rusty warmer? Who is a family or someone that's hurting around you? God wants to be recognizable in your life. We'll get to that in a moment. It's ironic that when uh, Moses said, God, show me your glory, that, you know, God put Moses in the back of the cleft of the rock in Exodus 33. And God was going to introduce himself because the, the thing is when the Queen of England comes, there's a certain person announcing, stand, or even in a courtroom. Everyone stand. But there was no one that could announce God because there's no one in a category where God is. So God announces himself. Hear what he says about himself. I am the Lord. I am the Lord, he says again, the merciful and gracious God. See me as gracious, he says this morning. See me as merciful this morning. I am slow to anger. See me as slow to anger, he says to us. I am rich, he doesn't say, in houses and lands, though he is. He doesn't say, I'm rich in the cattle upon the thousand of hills, though he is. I'm rich that the whole earth belongs to me. He says, I am rich in unfailing love. Can anyone shout hallelujah? He could be rich in so many things, but Rhonda Davis, I don't know about you, but I need to know today that he is rich in unfailing love and faithfulness to thousands. You see, that is our God who Isaiah 64 and 4 says, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. Do I have anyone this morning that's waiting on him for something? Oh, do I have anyone this morning that's waiting on him or something? He just said that there's no ear that is heard. There's no eye that is seen. There's no one that is perceived on he who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. Oh, we want to fix it. We want to get in there and do what we've always done, run or cuss or fuss. Come on, somebody. Or put our hand to whatever it is. And God says, you do what you can do. You reach what you can reach. But you let me, says the Lord, reach what you cannot reach. When Joshua was fighting the... Uh, five kings at IA, the Lord, he said to the Lord, I'm fighting what I can, but there's something beyond me, beyond my reach that is fighting me, and I can't reach it. And he said, God, I need you to stop the sun. And what did God do? He stopped the sun. When God did that, he said, I want to be seen as recognizable as he who will reach what you cannot reach. It is not a license for us to do nothing, but it is when having done all to stand and say, I wait to see the salvation of the Lord my God this day. Somebody give him a shout of praise. Come on, put your Sunday morning hands together. I love it. God wants to make himself recognizable. In 1980s, Mike Coleman was walking through betrayal. He was walking through despair. He'd been a pastor of a very well-known church in Florida. I didn't know any of this until recently. Let me tell you how Mike Coleman has affected Pastor Hank and I. Through Facebook, 
He knew about me because of my daddy. When Mike Coleman was a young youth pastor, he was at the International Church of God Convention. And my dad, as I said, was over the youth. There's a very big VIP area behind stage. And Mike accidentally wondered where he wasn't supposed to be and ran into Cecil Giles. He said, I was in horror. I'd only seen him from a distance. Yeah, it was Cecil Giles. And I was just freaking. He said, but he grabbed me around the shoulders. And he said, young man, you've got God's greatness in you. And began to talk to him. He said, I'll never forget how he made God recognizable to me. So Mike Coleman has been what he calls a balcony person. Everyone say a balcony person. He would send us private messages via Facebook. I'm one of your balcony people. I have no idea what's going on in your life. It's about three years ago. He said, but me and the Lord has shown me many others are sitting on balconies. And they're beseeching heaven for a divine turnaround. I mean, it was so awesome what he and his wife would do. That's all I knew about him. Just cool Harley Davidson riding 60-year-old cool cat. I didn't know anything else about him. But he recently shared this. In 1980, his wife had left him through a horrible situation. He had lost his church. He'd been a pastor. He was suffering betrayal, hurt, rejection. He was wounded. He was isolated. And he said, and then I became toxic. He said, people that I'd baptized their babies, people that I'd performed their ceremonies, were talking about me like a dog. They turned their back on me. And he said, I was hurting so bad, and some friends invited me one night. I'd gone into such isolation. I said, come eat dinner. We're having a special guest. Come, come, come. You'll be glad you did. He said, I tried everything to get out of it, but I went. They set me in a very special seat, and they said, our special guest is coming, and he'll be here in a moment. Well, the special guest is known to most of us, maybe not all of us, but the great artist Thomas Kincaid. So they put Thomas Kincaid right next to him. Everyone's eating, and Mike's just trying to just not get involved in narrative and just endure the awkward silence of his soul and his spirit and where he was. And all of a sudden, woe to him, he said. Thomas Kincaid said, so, Mike, what do you do? He said, silence filled the whole table. No one said a word because no one knew what to say. They all knew Mike, but they didn't know how to pitch in here and say. And all of a sudden, some precious, wise, probably other pastor said, Mike Coleman has pastored one of the greatest churches in Florida for many years, and he's, he's, he's got some time off now. He said, all of a sudden, Thomas Kincaid looked at Mike Coleman, and he said, by the Spirit of the Lord, you will pastor again. He said, it's going to be in a greater way than you ever dreamed. It's going to be to people you never imagined. It's going to be so different. It's not going to be underneath the roof, but you're going to minister to the hurting, the wounded, the unsaved, the heathen, and God's going to use you in a mighty way. He said about two weeks later, UPS pulled up at his house, and I'll bring this picture up. And in that box was one of Thomas Kincaid's paintings that he had autographed, and he sent it. I don't know how well you can see it. And what Thomas Kincaid then did is he wrote every detail of how he did this piece of art, and he did a parallel to Mike Coleman's life and how God was working the details. This was just a man he'd eaten dinner with. But Mike Coleman said, that was a turnaround moment in my life when someone made God recognizable again to me when I had lost my way. I'm going to tell you, if ever by the Spirit of the Lord, I believe for you and I, everyone has Mike Coleman's around us. I feel this. this Spirit of the Lord has been saying this, that they have lost their way. They have forgotten what it remember, what it re reminds them or remember to remember to look like, what he looks like, what God can do in their life. Who in your life is God calling you to make him recognizable to? God reveals himself through creation. Second point, God reveals himself through the witness in your life, which I just started that point. 
say through my witness. There was a great song that Avalon did. I heard it in my brain. It's the way the Holy Spirit ministers to me sometimes. Had to Google it. I kept hearing the words and um, actually thought it was Phillips, Craig, and Dean. They may have done it yet later. And while Nona Judd did it. But um, it's I'll Testify to Love. It talks about all the colors of the rainbow, all the voices of the wind, every dream that reaches out, reaches out to find where love begins. For as long as I shall live, I will testify. I'll be a witness to the silence when words are not enough. With every breath I take, I will give thanks to God above. For as long as I live, from the mountains to the valleys, from the rivers to the sea, every hand that reaches out, reaches out to say, I'll be a witness that God is a God of love and I will testify. What is your life testifying today? What is my life? Are we making God recognizable to those who have forgotten what he looks like? Maybe they've gotten themselves in their own pit. Um, we had a, a gentleman who comes in every once in a while, Paul. He had an addiction to cage fighting. And uh, Paul came in and lived at our, our men's rehab we had at that time. And uh, Paul was a hoot. He came in recently. I just told the Hope House girls about him. We went out door to door, and then he showed up the next Wednesday night. Um, he could actually lift this building on his shoulders. Strongest man I've ever met. Um, but he helped Pastor Frank so much and helped us. And now he works at a chicken farm from early morning to late evening. So occasionally he drops in. But uh, Paul was taking me to the airport one day, and, and I was just, I love to get people to talk about their story. And I said, Paul, tell me about the day that you found Jesus. He said, you mean the day I found Pastor Hank? I said, no, 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 no. Tell me about the day you found Jesus. He said, well, wait a minute. I need to tell you about the day I found Pastor Hank because he's the one that introduced me to Jesus. He said, I'd left the shelter that night. I knew the story, but I wanted him to tell it. And he was carrying a big bag on his shoulder, and he was walking down the street. Pastor Hank passed him and pulled over. Before you think we're crazy and pick up everybody, we don't. But there are some moments in life. And Pastor Hank rolled down his window and said, you need a ride, son? He got in, he got his bag in there, and he said, and then I saw Jesus in him. And I watched how he treated people, and I saw how any addicts that he knew, any people that had lost their way, he would always call them men of God, son of God brother. He said, Pastor Rhonda, those people were not his brothers, and they were not sons of God. I knew what they were doing. And he said, but I learned that he was calling people what they could become instead of what they were. And you see, that's what we are to do is to make God recognizable. 2 Corinthians 3 and 17 says, we are to be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of God. And as his spirit, everyone say his spirit, Works in us, we become more and more like him, reflecting his glory even more. Listen to this statement. You and I fulfill what we were meant to be, not when we get that new pay raise. We fulfill what we were meant to be, not when we get that new title. We fulfill what we're meant to be, not even by like, I want to be a preacher and I preach. You know, that's not what makes you. We fulfill what we were meant to be, not when we reach some acclaim or get some award or are we getting on MTV Awards? I hope that's nobody's goal. Praise Jesus. But anyway, we fulfill what is meant to be when Christ is recognizable in our lives. That's when we come into that point. Let me ask you these questions, and you ask yourself, true or false about you? My most important consideration in every undertaking is whether God can be glorified in this. I do not seek my own glory. These are all from verses. I'll save you the time. My sincere hope in my service to others that they will somehow see God in me. Ooh. 
When I'm going through hardships, I turn to God and I try to cooperate with him so he can use them for my good and for his glory and to help others. I'm sometimes able to accomplish things or withstand things through the power of God alone. Don't despair if you didn't answer true to every one of those. But I'm going to tell you a way that God often shows his glory the most. Isaiah 45, in you and through you in transformation. When you pass, everyone say when. He did not say if. Say he did not say if. Say he did not say if. When you pass through waters, I will be with you. It doesn't say hold your nose and hope not to drown. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you, says the Lord. When you walk through the fire, not if, not if, but when. When you walk through the fire. None of us want to walk through the fire of a trial. None of us want to go through stuff. I don't want to go through stuff. I've got a good resume. Anybody else with me? Anybody tracking with me? You feel like your resume's full? But you know, when those three Hebrew children were in the fire, when they were in the worst place of their life, what did the earthly, very unlike God king say? I see a fourth man in the fire. We don't want to go through the fire. You see, God can show his glory, and we don't go through. Have you ever thought you were going to go through something, then all of a sudden that came through? I mean, all of a sudden God came through. You thought you were going to go through bankruptcy, or you thought you were going to go through this, or are you going to lose your job, or, 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 or some other situation. And it's kind of like, you. Th- and, and all of a sudden the Calvary came. Anybody grow up watching the Indian and the Western movies? Come on. You know, you loved it when those Indians, married to an Indian, so no prejudice, but those Indians had the cowboys all circled, and they're fixing to scalp them. I remember as a child just, oh, my heavenly father being so freaked out. And then all of a sudden you think, this is the end. They're going to they're gonna eat the children. They're going to scalp the children. God only knows what they're going to do to the women. Come on, you thought it true. And all of a sudden you hear this, whoop, 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 whoop. and what was it? It was the bugle of the Calvary. Of course, the funny thing is back in cinematography of yesterday, the Calvary would always ride in on horses looking like they'd not broken a sweat. That's just funny to me. But anyway, they would come, and all of a sudden they didn't go through it. There are Calvary moments in our lives. We've all been there. When we don't have to go through stuff and God at the last minute saves it. And then there's miracles, most of them in the Bible, where people went through it, but the Lord was in the midst of the fire and other people look in and say, there is no way he can go through that if God was not with him. There is no way she can keep standing if God was not with him. And God says, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for I am with you. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that this morning. For he is with you. He doesn't say if. He says when. And Chris, if you can play the guitar, and I, if, I don't think you'd be here if you can, if you'd come up and, and begin to get ready to do that or go ahead and do that. We're going to go walk things. One of the greatest stories of seeing Jesus in the fire, I'll share a few more stories and then end, because we're talking about transformation, is a man named Father Maximian Colby, one of my personal heroes. Most of you know about him. Every morning you could find Father Colby with his hands on a big globe in Warsaw, Poland, with his hands praying for the world. Across the continent, across a little way from where he lived, was a blue-eyed, frenzied leader named Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler was marching all across Europe, claiming for his own, killing. Maximilian Kolbe would hide Jews. He would help them during this time. And he would pray every morning. And people said, your name has come on the Gestapo list. You need to get out, Father Kolbe. He was Catholic. He wasn't a Jew. Get out. Get out of Poland. 
They're going to come for you. He said, I will not leave the place where God has called me. I will stay here and trust the God who has called me. Well, the Gestapo, he heard them one morning pull up. He heard their big boots coming up the steps. They arrested him. They put him in Auschwitz. Auschwitz at this time was a well-oiled killing machine. And one uh, father... Colby continued to minister to people, to Jews, to people to help the Jews. He was the comforter, they said, those that survived. He was always helping. But one day a prisoner escaped from Auschwitz. And when that happened, one person had to give their life. But because no one would come forth and say how he escaped, the horrible commander said, 10 will die in his place. They started randomly calling numbers and nine Jews came up. And the 10th man that was called, he didn't weep for himself. He just started crying, oh, my babies, my children, my wife, oh, God, my wife, my children. Because they were there watching it. They said that Father Colby's immediately broke line and came forth, and he said, I would like to take the place of this man. And they said, you're an idiot. He said, I want to take the place of this man. So they put Father Colby with nine others in the starvation bunker. The starvation bunker, people didn't even come out looking sane. They would hear screams of horror because they would starve to death. Men would claw. They became animals. But they said for the first time in the history of Auschwitz, they heard faint, sweet singing coming from the starvation. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no. They said when they got down there, one man had survived. The rest had died with sweet smiles. Why? Because a shepherd died with them. Someone who knew how to make God. Recognizable in the worst of times. He didn't go down there and blame God or scream at God like I probably would have. Let me tell you something. Beautiful people are not born. Beautiful people are made through the trials and the fires. Beautiful people are those that emerge with a song of hope, with a song of life, who endure with their hands lifted up saying, you are the Lord God. You are my strength and my salvation. I will look to you and I will not be afraid. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. It's five till. Will you give me ten more minutes? Thank you. There was three of you, so thank you so much. When the disciples were out on the storm of the Galilee, when Jesus said, take courage, he didn't say, take courage, I'm calming the storm. Instead, with the winds raging, he said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. You see, that is the, the principle for in the fire, in the times where God is recognizable. He wanted them to see him walking on top of what seemed to be flooding them. But the only way he could show them was for them to think it was flooding them. I'm thinking about so many moments in my life, brothers and sisters, we could pass the mic around and boy, we could all bring up stories. Of times that we thought that thing would overwhelm us. We thought that thing would take us out. And Jesus just says, don't be afraid. Take courage. Look at your neighbor and say, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. I want you to sing me walking on top of the storm. In ancient times, sailors would have cartographers, Chris, you can say that better, whatever that word is, cartographers, who wrote words in their journals, brothers and sisters, as they traveled on the ancient seas. And the sailors would write, here be dragons, so that the next one that got the chart would know, hey, when we get here, there's going to be dragons. And then here be demons, here be sirens. 
When you draw a map of your world, what will you say about what is going on right here or what went on there? I'm not saying to deny reality. Absolutely not. But you see, a lot of times we write that over things in our past when God wants us to write something different. There was a man, Sir John Franklin, in the time of these ancient seas. And he was serving in the days of King Henry V. The waters were a mystery of him, but John Franklin was a man of faith. The maps passed through him, and he had an opportunity to write the same places where people put, here be dragons, here be demons. Here was horribleness. Here was downfall. Here was broken hearts. But on top of each one of those, he wrote, here be God. Here be God. Here be God. Here is God. Here is God. You see, mark it down today on every day of your life, brothers and sisters. There is not a day or a moment, whether enlisted, commissioned, hospitalized, reassigned, relocated, where God will not make his word true in Matthew 28. I am with you always. Somebody give the Lord Jesus a hand this morning. We may not learn to enjoy the storm, but we'll learn to enjoy his presence. Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Like Esther, like David, like Daniel, like Paul, like those who saved during the Holocaust. In the beginning of our, sh- our church, a woman was being beaten by her husband. We moved her. We did everything to keep her safe, precious Brenda. We loved her. We did everything. She listened to our counsel. We met with her pastor and I. We did everything we could. But one night she got in the car in the distant part of our parking lot. After service, he drove up and she got in the car with him. And he shot her five times in the chest. Pastor Hank and one of our elders, he's a real strong man too that's in East Tennessee now, ran out to take the gun off of him and to try to do CPR on her. But she was gone. At the emergency room that night, she had two daughters and son, and they got the news late when they got there. And a a sheriff recently was sharing this story with me because it's so powerful, and I, I love this story. But as he shared it, he said the room was full of authorities and you know, all kind of people, as it would with a situation like this, a, a heinous murder. And all of a sudden, the daughter came in, the youngest one, that was quite full of energy. She was about 23 at that time. And Pastor Hank reached out and took her hand and said, called her by name and said, we need to tell you something. When he told her, she lunged at him. When she lunged at him, Sheriff was saying it was the coolest thing he'd ever seen, said, that Pastor Hank just put one arm over her shoulder, said she whipped him from the wall to the wall, back to the floor, said she flipped him upside down, screaming her head off. But when she was done, they both hit the floor like that, and she just screamed, Pastor, just crying and crying. But that defining moment to her and everybody in that room was that there are people that will hold your hand while you freak out. Come on, somebody. And while you go nuts and you go wild, and we maybe we can't hold your physical hand, but we will hold you in the spirit realm until you land on your feet and you know there's somebody in my life. And I think God wants you and I to be that for people, to make God recognize what in the worst moments. I was laying out in the sun reading a book in the early days of our church, and I'd been counseling someone with severe psychotic disorders, loved her dearly. She was a twin, battled severe depression, and I was sitting reading and, and catching some sons with shorts and a little shirt on. And um, she, I saw a car come up I didn't recognize. I saw her get out of the car and blood was just covering her whole body. And she had a knife like this, a big old knife. 
I remember in my mind, as crazy and young as I was, thinking, just get up. If you're going to die, die standing up. I mean, that was my faith at that moment. Come on, somebody. If you're going to go out, go out standing up. So I stood up. She came toward me, and I could tell she had hurt herself so badly that I was on a time limit. I called her by name. I tried to talk to her. Uh, our chief musician lived around the corner. He ran down to try to, because Pastor Hank was gone, just to try to give me some support physically to try to corral her because we knew we, we only had moments or she was going to be gone. And I'm doing everything I can, and all of a sudden I just, Spirit of the Lord just put this idea in me. It's why I love him. I'm addicted to his help. I'm addicted to the Holy Spirit's enabling power because without him, I'm so tiny. If you think I'm tiny, oh, I'm so tiny without him. And I heard his voice say, tell her to look at you. And I said, Cindy, look at me. Look at me in the eye. And she looked at me in the eye just for a minute. Then what she said is not to make grandiose, but she began to weep. It's like consciousness. She came. She said, she called me Sister Rhonda. Sister Rhonda, Jesus is in your eyes. Jesus is looking at me, Sister Rhonda. And I knew at that moment no longer was she seeing me, but she was seeing him. We got her to the hospital. She was ministered to. She spent a little bit of time in a place. I'm going to tell you today what's so powerful. She's not only a godly mother. I run into her all the time. She is the music teacher that pulled out the gift in this daughter, Christine, at the Christian school. You see how you become somebody in somebody's life, and then they make themselves recognizable. Let me tell you something. We, God wants to make himself recognizable in creation, in transformation, in how we are transformed through the fire. But the third wonder of the world, and we'll end quickly here, is redemption. Everyone say redemption. God wants to take us on as his very own. There's wonders of creation, but there's never going to be a greater wonder than redemption. Then the moment when Jesus became our Boaz, our Goel. Remember in the book of Ruth where she had to someone redeem her. And it had to be someone that was willing. They had, Now let me say the word right. Was eligible. Everyone say eligible. And able. Able. Say able. You see, he was eligible and he was able. Let me tell you something. Your Redeemer, Jesus Christ, was not only eligible to redeem you from the curse of sin and sickness and addiction and depression and fear and anxiety and sickness and disease. He is not only eligible, but He was able through the cross of Calvary. Somebody give Him a praise. Corinthians says, He who knew no sin was made sin. That he might become flesh. That we might become righteousness. We're dawning into that season right now. One of the greatest seasons where God makes himself recognizable. Throw away the worthless of this season and extract the precious. Amen. The precious is. He still says, my hand is not shortened that it cannot redeem. I am able and I am willing. You know what? This is our Christ. This is the wonder of making God recognizable. When he was born in a manger, when he healed, every time he stopped that funeral service, every time he healed the leper, every time he raised someone from the dead, every time he stepped into chaos, when demoniac was 
foaming at the mouth and driving the whole community crazy. It was Jesus that came in and said, let there be order here, for God is in this moment. That is the recognizable features of the Redeemer of the world. He says to your chaos, let there be order. He says to that which is empty, let there be filled with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. He says into what is dark, let there be light. Somebody give him a praise in this house. One more thing. I got about one more minute. Then we're going to pray over you. Listen. Jesus succeeds where the church fails. Jesus succeeds where we fail. Holy Spirit will speak to you. If I mess up and don't get to you, he'll give you a dream. He'll give you an inspiration. I had such a wonderful dream two nights ago. I'm not going to tell it this morning. It's so beautiful. Had a beautiful dream recently. Sent it to Joni Lamb, you know, my bestie. And I said, I know John Paul's in heaven because I, I did a lot of shows with John Paul and was able to minister with him in services. And I said, um, can, you, can you interpret this? It was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. She said, oh, bestie, good, awesome things are coming. Do you want to hear it real quick? Okay, real quick, and then I'll finish. Um, in the stream, I was, is very short. I was driving in a car with someone I know from California named Sonia Frey. And I thought I was going to her house. But then all of a sudden, the road ended. Now, she lives in California in um, Orange County. I can't remember the name. And it ended, and a voice in the dream said, you have arrived in Temecula. I woke up, and I thought, that's crazy. So I told Pastor Hank, of course, and then I went to my computer to look up the meaning of words. I didn't know what in the world. I mean, am I moving to Temecula? You know, you think of the crowd. I mean, what is Temecula? Pastor Hank said, it's a city in Southern California. He's yelling up to my office. So I said, oh, okay. So I look up, what does Temecula mean? Well, Temecula means the place where the sun breaks through the mist. So I thought, well, that's awesome. But still, what does this mean? What, what does this mean? I looked up the city of Temecula, the population, the culture. I go way too far in my research, people. Um, but then um, I emailed it to her, and she emailed back. She said, oh, bestie, I can hear John Paul saying, you know what this means. But see, what I didn't get, she said, the woman named Frey is indicative of the fray that your church has gone through, your ministry, your finances, everything. It's been a battle. But the Spirit of the Lord says, the sun is about to break through the mist. That's the place you're coming to. That's why you were traveling. Is that not a beautiful dream? So now when you just need to be encouraged about your own self, just say, Temecula, the place where the sun breaks through the mist. Now, why does God do that? I said, Johnny, I know I've, I've done teachings with John Paul, but why wouldn't the Lord just say, and you're come to a place? Because God likes to reveal himself in a way that is beautiful, a way that only you'll understand and search out. Did you know today where the church is not reaching the Muslims? I'm talking about the Muslims. I'm not talking about the um, Islamic terrorists. I'm talking about the Muslims. I had the statistics. I didn't bring them this morning, but they're vast. And in the countries, I'll just say this in closing. It has been documented. It is not hearsay. It has been documented. Jesus is appearing in dreams to Arabs in 12 different countries almost daily. You see, where we don't even succeed in reaching people. In fact, Pastor, um, Pastor, uh, I'm going to say his name, Nahim Fazel of Mosaic Church, the way, he, the way he became a Christian, he said it was people who lived for God and reading the Bible. But it was a supernatural encounter because as a Muslim, 
I've been taught to believe in dreams. And he said, one night a figure of light appeared to me, solid yet transparent. The peace I felt felt was so powerful, so aggressive. And this man in light introduced himself to me and he said, I am Jesus. Your life is not your own. He said, that morning changed my life forever. The, the, the increase of the Muslim nations that are coming to Jesus. Through Jesus making himself recognizable. It's mind-boggling. The statistics would blow you away. We don't have time for you. You just have to trust me because I have all that. So what does that say? It means if anything else fails you in life. Your bank account fails you. Your ex-wife fails you. Your boyfriend failed you. You failed yourself. Christ succeeds in redemption when all others fail. Things may look murky and miry and mucky, but Jesus brings the sun through the mist. And Jesus makes sense by making himself recognized. Let's stand all over this house this morning. Can we lift our hands to Jesus right now? Can we just stand in his presence, hands lifted? Lord Jesus, oh, we love you, Lord. I thank you for these stories of redemption of Rusty Warmer, Bob McAllister, who made you recognizable. God, I have a feeling there are many people in our lives we're supposed to be making you recognizable, but we get so distracted. We get overwhelmed in our own life, but God, you're just asking us where we work, where we buy things, where we do trade to make you recognizable. You're asking us to the low places of the earth, those that have stigma written on those that are sitting in prison cells, sometimes physically or sometimes emotionally. You're just saying, make me recognizable. Just go in there and write on their papers, here is God, here is God, here is God. You're just asking us, God, to show your kindness when we could show anger. To show your mercy when we should, could show judgment. To show your peace when we could show anger. To show your forgiveness when we could be bitter. To show our faith when we could walk in such unbelief. You're asking us, Lord Jesus, in the fires of affliction, in the places we walk through, Lord. You didn't say if, you said when. You said you would be with us and that we would not drown. We would not be burnt. Lord Jesus, we claim that promise right now over our lives. We claim that over what we're living in right now as a nation, as individuals, as families, Lord. We claim that, Lord. We claim that you would be recognizable in our life today, whether on the mountain or in the valley, Lord, that we would make you known. The trees sing your praises, the flowers, the rivers and the streams, the animals sing there is a creator. But God, you created us in your own image with spirit. Lord, and let our souls and our spirits cry out with our life. We are not perfect people. We have not obtained to know all things, but this we know. God is who he says he is. So, Lord, we ask that you would make that known in us. And, Lord, we ask for the people in our lives that need to see you in us. Open doors that no man can shut. Lord, open businesses that no man can despise. Let even this house that's working more in recovery than ever, Lord, swing wide the gates.